The We Tackle Life podcast is a service of HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com where you get 15% off when you use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps. Willis Spangler Starling Attorneys located on Truman Boulevard in Hilliard, located online at WillisAttorneys.com and AUIInfo.com, your ally in business to help you find the best insurance plans at the most affordable price. Remember, you don't pay AUIInfo.com. They're compensated by the companies you select from the options they present. I'd like to welcome all of you to a very special June 11th edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. I have known my guest on today's podcast, or at least known of him, for a very long time. We used to see each other from time to time while I was covering Ohio State, and he was covering the University of Michigan when he worked at the Ann Arbor News. He's since gone on to ESPN, Fox, I think back to ESPN, back to Fox, to outkick the coverage. And very soon you'll see him on Blaze TV. He is one of America's best-known journalists. It's a pleasure for me to welcome Jason Whitlock to the We Tackle Life podcast. I've watched you. I've known you for a long time. I mean, I joked with you on Twitter the other day. I remember something you said to me that was hilarious when uh, we were at, uh, or you said it to everybody when we were on press row at Chrysler and there was a loud noise and you said, please don't let that be news. Do you remember that? That's a long time ago, but I've never forgotten that. I don't remember it. I saw the tweet and I was trying to remember it and I said, don't. <laughs> don't let that be news. What was I referencing? What well, was the punchline? I think the punchline was, you know, if that's news, uh, we're here to cover a basketball game. Like, don't stick us with oh. a major news event. Which is funny because now you don't shy away from uh, from anything, and I know it was said in jest back then, but I'm just so thrilled to hear and see another bold voice for truth out there in the world. Obviously, I followed you to Fox and ESPN and OutKick and all those things, and... Uh, you're a guy that's not shy. You're a guy that I think it's become clear to me here lately that you know what you believe and you know why you believe it. And I feel like that's really the key to being a powerful voice in our culture right now. Why don't you talk first of all, Jace, about your uh, new opportunity coming at Blaze TV, and then we'll get into where your heart for speaking truth and stuff comes from and your uh, spiritual journey. Well, I'm July the 6th. Uh, I'll be launching a digital podcast television show on blaze tv uh called fearless with jason whitlock it'll be daily you know i'm very excited about it we built some very leased and built constructed some very nice studios here in nashville and you know it's going to be an expansion of what i've been doing you know most of my career as a columnist and that's just kind of exploring American culture mm-hmm. first through the lens of sports but now where we you know where everything has become politicized you know you got to deal with politics and you know I think as I've examined American culture more and more you know I think you have to deal with faith and the Judeo-Christian values that America was founded upon and and drove this country to greatness are are being eliminated and so in order to understand what's going on in America, I think you can look at things in the sports world, but you have to expand the scope now because the athlete to become so political. And so that's what we're going to do, myself and you know my sidekick from my radio days back in Kansas City and my television days at Fox Sports. Uncle Jimmy's going to provide some comic relief. And it, it, it sounds kind of funny that you know we want to have this serious examination of American culture and, you know, what's the comedy for? And and one of the things I, I try to explain to people, Bruce, is 
I think two professions have failed America over the last 10 years in particular, but, you know, longer than that. And, and it's, it's ministers and comedians. You know, mm. our society is set up for ministers and comedians to speak uncomfortable truths and say things no one else is really licensed to say. And, you know, ministers have kind of fallen in love with secular culture and social media and being popular, and they've, you know, bastardized the gospel, and they're afraid to speak truth because they don't want to run off their congregation that, you know, wants to make sure that you stick to the popular groupthink Mm. political narrative. And so ministers have, have compromised what they say, and then we can see it very clearly that comedians are scared to say anything because uh, out of fear of being canceled. And so they, we've outlawed truth from ministers and comedians, and I think that corrodes the culture. And so that's where Uncle Jimmy fits in and making humor a part of what we do fits in. So I don't know. Did I answer your question? Yeah, you did. Yeah. And I, I, as I'm listening to your answer, you know, the word you keep coming back to and the word that's resonated with me as I've several times in my life rededicated myself to, um, you know, what Christ, how Christ calls me to live. I'll do it. I'll get lazy. I'll do it. I'll get lazy. This last time, you know, two years ago, uh, thankfully, uh, I've finally hopefully locked in forever is truth. That word is truth. And, you know, when you read the Gospels and when you read the New Testament, that word just keeps coming back at me. We now have this phrase out in our culture, my truth, which, you know, <laughs> is is convenient because my truth is my opinion. Truth is not malleable, moldable, shapeable. You and I sat back and covered games, you know, when, when, when you were at the Ann Arbor News and I was at the Plain Dealer in the, uh, in the early 90s. And if you'd have told me then how free journalists, quote-unquote, would have become with opinions and how much how advocate, how much advocacy for political uh, viewpoints would have become in journalism, I would have had a hard time believing it from regular journalists. Did you see this coming, and why do you think we are where we are with journalists being, uh, being advocates for, quote-unquote, my truth? Well, if you go back to when, you know, I was covering Michigan, you were covering Ohio State, Heck no, I would have never seen this. And throughout my career in Kansas City as a columnist, I was there for 16 years, and I would say for the first 10, 12 years, I would have never predicted this. But once social media, and when did Facebook come around, 2006 maybe, or Twitter? Maybe. I want to say 2002-ish, somewhere in there. Yeah. All right, So, and then I think Twitter may have come around in 2006, and that's once Twitter became a force, that's when I saw the corrosion of truth in journalism like had really accelerated. Mm-hmm. And it's the vetting process, Bruce, of it was a big deal to express an opinion in a newspaper. You know, you had to earn that right. You had to demonstrate skill in writing, you had to demonstrate some expertise on the topic, you had to have sources, you had to be credible before they would allow you to express an opinion in the newspaper. Now that's all gone away. Everybody who has an opinion, they're they're all equal, no matter how informed or uninformed, they don't have to have any expertise. Everybody, you know, skin color, 
at this point in the culture we've created now, skin color makes you an expert on race. If your skin, if they can classify you as a person of color, whew, you're an expert on race. Yeah. It, 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 it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, Colin Kaepernick is an expert on black people having spent the first 20 some odd years of his life never really being around black people, not being raised in a black community or anything, but he's somehow an expert. And so, you know, this whole democratization of journalism and citizen journalism and no vetting, no earning of anything, everybody just gets to spout an opinion, has been a disaster. And so, no, I would have never seen this coming because I grew up as a journalist in an era where you had to earn it. And then if you didn't, they just stick to the news, keep your opinions out of it. We've got editors overseeing to make sure you keep your opinions out of it. And so I don't know what things are like at the Plain Dealer, but I think when I started at the Kansas City Star, there were 35, 40 people in the sports department. And now I think the Kansas City Star sports department has seven or eight people and they're covering just as much as they were when they had 35 or 40, and that's just impossible to do. Right, and, you know, I mean, the plane dealer is a shell of what it used to be. Uh, It's funny to me, you know, when I would break a story at the plane dealer years ago, the Columbus Dispatch would, would refer to the story as being reported, if they even reported it at all, as being in another newspaper. Now all the newspapers in Ohio share content because, you know, that's the way the business has gone. And uh, you're right. If I ever even uh, flirted with getting my personal opinion in a story, it got whacked down uh, in that era. But now, you know, we have everybody putting opinion in. And, you know, you and I have have been some of the few newspaper guys who can transition into radio and television. I've been doing radio now for 15 years in different places. And now for the first time in my life for the last seven months, I've been doing news talk. And thankfully, I'm at a Salem-owned station where I can put news events through a biblical prism. I'm curious, just to inform you, like two years ago I lost my job in sports radio when they folded the format, and just to give you my own little kind of Damascus Road experience, and I want to know if you had that similar kind of thing happen to you whenever, because you've become obviously way more out front with your faith and the fact that Christ compels you to be truthful. I was making more money than I'd ever made, doing a radio show in the mornings with Chris Spielman. Morning radio is a lousy time schedule. I was always sleep-deprived. My marriage suffered, not to the point where it was going to end, but I wasn't connecting with my wife, wasn't connecting with my girls, wasn't connecting with God. There was never time for that. I was always tired, taking naps, chasing on the weekends, you know, all this stuff. And so I was praying, you know, Lord, I want my my I want my relationship with my wife to get better, my relationship with my kids to get better, my relationship with you to get better. And his solution was great, fantastic. How about if I take your job away so you have all this time unemployed to connect with me? And that set me, you know, committed to like reading a chapter of Proverbs every day that corresponds to the date of the month, diving into the Gospels, reading Paul's letters seeing what Jesus really had to say in my life. And um, then Chris Spielman and I started doing this podcast, uh, which we did until Chris got a job with the Lions in the front office. We said, you know, we got a, we got a free reign now. We can really be transparent, really share our faith, really talk about 
compelling men to be faithful husbands and fathers. So that's kind of where I've been since you and I didn't connect, and that's kind of my latest Damascus Road experience. What in your life, if anything, has emboldened you, it seems to me lately, to be more out front with your faith and to call men and to call our culture to account? So I'm going to start at the very beginning. When Mm -hmm. I graduated from college, or hell, before I got to college, uh, I was a big reader of Mike Royko in the Chicago Tribune. His column was picked up in Indianapolis, syndicated all over the country. And so when I first went to college, I was going to be an accounting major because I didn't know much about college, and I didn't know what I wanted to be, so I signed up to be an accountant. Got in a math class and was like, whoa, accounting is not for me. And a buddy said, hey, man, you'd love to read the newspaper. You love sports. You should be a sports writer. And so when he suggested this my freshman year, I was like, oh, man, that makes sense. I want to be like Mike Royko. Mm -hmm. And so at 19 years old, I was like, I want to be like Mike. And I switched my major to journalism and didn't really – do much after switching, you know, played football, socialized at Ball State. But in my fifth year of school, I really got serious, went to work for the student paper. And and so when I graduated college, I just came out with the, in my head, the dream of, I want to be the Mike Royko of sports. And what that meant to me was, having read Mike since I was probably 11 or 12 years old, was just like, hey man, just go wherever the truth leads you. Mm-hmm. And always remember you work for the reader, not uh, the athletes, the executives, the coaches or whatever. Put out work that appeals to the reader. Just give them truth because that's kind of how I saw Mike Royko. He didn't care about the politicians he covered. He was most interested in entertaining the readers. And then so my background is growing up playing football and playing sports. Those values, if football in particular, but sports culture, particularly when I was a kid, very influenced by Christian faith and coaches that had strong religious faith. But for me, the other influence was my grandmother and the church that we belong to, 25th Street Baptist Church. And so football and my Christian upbringing have always been the strongest influence on my worldview and perspective. And, and, to fast forward as America has skidded off the course in terms of racial unity, in terms of just core values. I've just, as I've reflected over the last five to seven to, and I, I, you know what, I guess I would say my, the, in 2013, when I went back to ESPN to run the undefeated, Mm -hmm. that, experience and being attacked by left-wing people with agendas from deadspin to people internally at ESPN, that helped me see like, wow, what about me and my values are causing this kind of attack? And it's like, I didn't fully understand until I just started examining like, what am I expressing that is so dangerous that people want to attack me and smear my character and mischaracterize me in such a vicious way. And the only conclusion I could reach was, well, man, it's these Christian values that you have. Now, look, I was definitely 
a person of the world and, you know, probably still am, or I'm sure I am still to this day. Uh, but I was writing themes and my point of view was always somewhat consistent with my Christian values and my conservative values brought from football, not from politics. And so once I started realizing why I was under attack and then also realizing why have I had so much success in this industry? Because, you know, I was pretty wildly successful at a young age and just always and I realized it was like, it's my Christian value why I'm so successful. And they're also the reason why some, there's a group of people attacking me. And so just as I've gotten further and further into that understanding of why I've had success and why I'm under attack, and my philosophy has always been to execute my media career in a very transparent fashion, I just, my understanding of Christ's role and my Christian faith in my work has just become deeper, and I would be inconsistent or a hypocrite if I didn't express and let people know this is why I think this way. And then when I start applying it to what's going on in the country, it's the only thing that makes sense that our Christian values are under attack. You know, Jesus is being canceled across America, and that's why the truth has been illegalized. And, you know, as journalists, we're also supposed to be in pursuit of the truth. Well, now it's virtually illegal to express the truth, and all that can be is an attack on Jesus. And so it's the only explanation I have to offer to people about what's going on in America. Jason Whitlock is our guest on the We Tackle Life podcast. You know, it's so interesting to me, Jason, that you back then had the clarity, and I think that's divinely inspired, that it was because of your Christian values that you were being uh, attacked. Why do you think you didn't go to uh, the victim card that is played so often today and, and say, you know, it's because I'm a successful young black man that I'm being attacked? Why do you think you had the clarity, other than it being divinely inspired, that was because of your Christian values and that's what set you apart? Because I'm a Christian and I actually believe the gospel, I just can't see myself as a victim. I see myself perhaps as a sinner who needs to live more Christ-like to experience the success, joy, happiness uh, that God intends for me to have here on earth. Uh, But I just don't think you can be a Christian and see yourself as a victim. And, you know, I would tack on to that. It's just not my father never lived that way, and he experienced things much more difficult than me uh, growing up and being a young adult in America, but he he always saw himself as the solution, and he never saw himself as a victim, and my grandmother, you know, the greatest representation of Christian love that I've ever seen, she never saw herself as a victim. My mother never saw herself, or she certainly never acted like she was a victim. And so I just, I'm just, I just reject 
the notion that I'm in any way a victim, you know, maybe to a fault hyper-masculine, but I, I just, I see myself as a lion and I see myself legitimately believe like if God's on my side, how can I fail? Man, I so love that answer. I mean, that is just such a perfect answer because, I mean, in saying, I wrote it down, and I'm going to quote it a lot. Because I'm a Christian, I can't see myself as a victim. And that gets to the essential nature of the gospel. And I I kick myself sometimes because I miss the simplicity of the gospel. You know, I was raised by a dad who was a, a military guy. He was in the infantry in World War II. And growing up, I viewed my status with my earthly father. And I love my dad. It's not like, you know, I have a difficult dad relationship. He's gone now. And he became a patient, you know, godly man, uh, outwardly more so later in his life than he was early. But he had a lot of financial problems and a lot of physical injuries. I, you know, uh, he was under stress and probably depressed for a lot of the time that I was a teenager. But I confused my earthly worth with how does my earthly father view me? And am I Uh, in good shape today, am I doing well today or not? And so I viewed my spiritual standing the same way. Like, well, I was not, I didn't, I was cussing today. I said this today. I did this today. I thought this today. So if Jesus came back tonight, like I I wouldn't be, (laughs) he wouldn't take me with him. And then when I was hit with, uh, my first wife was unfaithful and I sat down with the Bible on December 22nd, 1996, and I sat there and I prayed for the first time in probably, I'm ashamed to say, a year or maybe more. And I just said, you know, look, Lord, I, you have no reason to listen to me, but I know the answers are in here. And I'm going to look for them and I'm going to find them because I want what everybody else has. And when I, fig- when I saw what Jesus had to say about me fighting that earthly perfection battle, I was like, he said it at the cross. It's finished. Like, I did it, Bruce. I got it. You're 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 fine if you put your faith in me and then you obey me out of gratitude for that sacrifice. And when I hear you say, Jason, because I'm a Christian, I can't see myself as a victim. That's what I always say to people. If you really understood the depth of your sin, if you really understood how disqualifying that is for a holy God to accept you with that sin, if you understand how easy it is to lay that sin off on Jesus and you're covered, you know, it transforms your life. It just transforms your life. So, man, I think you have such a unique way of saying things and a powerful way of saying things. And I just, I thank you for that. And uh, how have you been received now that you become more out front with your faith? Have you lost friends? Uh, I don't think I've lost friends. That would take a second for me to to ponder. Uh, you know, I I'm not as close to some of the friends I used to be very close to, but that's kind of their call. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I have friends who are atheists and who are, you know, far left, left of Bernie Sanders or whatever. Mm-hmm. I still love them the same. Maybe they're not as comfortable with me, but I don't think I've lost them in any way. Uh Honestly, I think that uh, I've what I've received the most, the biggest benefit, is that I think it puts my enemies in check. It's it's like you know it's letting them know what team I'm rolling with, and it tends to, in my view, strike fear, and so it, it's it's a lot easier 
to to deal with me when you know I'm concealing my religious faith than when I'm I'm wearing it on my sleeves. And it, it's you know one of the things I try to explain to people that are believers is don't let your enemies use your sin to silence you, and and because that's what we're doing. They they see. They don't believe in anything. They don't believe there is any sin outside of maybe murder. But so their sin kind of emboldens them to be more outspoken. And then they'll say, for Jason Whitlock, you know, look at this picture of you partying in Vegas, you know, and I'm like, yeah, that's me. And and yes, you know, that's sinful behavior, but, uh, you know, possibly it's just a picture, but yeah, that is me. That's why I'm a Christian because I am a sinner. If if I weren't a sinner, I'd be Jesus Christ, and all of you would be bowing before me. Uh, <laughs> so I just don't let my and again, I trust me. Every day I'm trying to be a better Christian, uh, but I don't let my sin stop me from speaking truth, and and I don't let my enemies use my faith as a weapon against me i use my faith as a weapon to liberate me to speak more truth uh and to do it boldly and fearlessly they can't i'm looking at all these people that are allowing themselves to be canceled or silenced out of shame of their sin and it's it's a mistake uh the reason to be a christian is so that you can Spread the gospel and t- tell people the truth about what a Christian, a uh, faith in Jesus can do for you as an individual person. But but for me as a journalist, I'm just trying to explain to people like what faith and Christianity did for America. And as we as America becomes more secular, let's don't be shocked that we're becoming more racially divided and divided, politically divided and all these other things. Uh, so I'm kind of rambling, but you know, don't, I would just repeat, don't let your sin silence you. That's your testimony. And it's the reason why you're a Christian. And it, it actually, you know, don't, don't let the enemy silence you that easily. Man, that is so on point because that's Satan's thing is you're not good enough. You know, that he just loves to beat people up with that. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. The shame, the guilt, we see it all throughout our world today. And the answer to that is, yeah, I'm not. I don't have to be. Christ was, so I'm covered. And you're so right. You know, this whole self-censorship thing that's out there now in cancel culture, and um, I don't know if you saw somebody the other day, tweeted the picture of you with a couple of ladies and I, maybe that was in Vegas and I re- he, yeah, you know, was hey. in Vegas. Hey, he's like, Hey, you know, oh, is this godly behavior? And I'm like, dude, this is the gospel right here. Like you've got something in your life. That's, I don't know. What is it? Gluttony? Is it resentment? Is it impatience? Is it like, you know, there's no uh, grade on sin. It all disqualifies us from Christ. And you're so right. That's not what disqualifies us, that's what qualifies us to preach the gospel of Christ and the forgiveness and the restoration and all the things you gain from that. And so I just think you have so 
perfectly encapsulized what the gospel is. And I think, Jason, it's powerful when it comes from a Chris Spielman who can talk about, yeah, I was lost when I was single-minded to try to win a Super Bowl. You know, from a Bruce Hooley who can say, yeah, when I worked at the Plain Dealer and in radio, a lot of my life, I've been a, clo- I've been a colossal jerk and unfair to people, unfair to this coach, unfair to this guy. From a Jason Whitlock who can say, yeah, that's me in a strip club. Yeah, okay, so what? Guess what? We're all three forgiven, not because of anything we did, but because of what Christ did. I remember an instance when I was on the radio in Cleveland. It was when Jason Collins came out as gay, and Chris Broussard said something about, well, you know, I mean, from my personal faith perspective, he's living a sinful lifestyle. And my partner on the radio at that time, who's not at all a person who orders his life according to the gospel— was so mad that not at the not at the anybody condemning a gay lifestyle, but that Chris Broussard would call Jason Collins a sinner. But he said he's a sinner. He said he's a sinner. And it's funny to me how people don't look at themselves that way because inside our own heart, we know everything we've ever done, everything we've ever thought, everything we've ever thought about saying. That's what the beauty of Christ is. I mean, Adrian Rogers, the late Adrian Rogers, used to say, God doesn't change you so he can love you. He loves you so he can change you. And that's real, and you've experienced that, and that's awesome. So I remember that and remember Chris getting in trouble and a lot of backlash from it. I think he said the, uh, the person was uh, he's living in open rebellion to Jesus or mm-hmm. the gospel. And and the only thing I would have suggested that Chris say, and I suggest this to all people, uh, b- believers or whatever, is like, take Jason Whitlock, uh, who has had sex outside of marriage. And, uh, you know, fornication, mm-hmm. gluttony's a problem, blah, blah. All those sins are equal to homosexuality. Amen. In God's eyes. Amen. And so we as Christians need to quit putting homosexuality on a pedestal like, oh boy, that's so much worse than the stuff that I do. And so if Chris had simply said, hey, you know, when, and I don't know Chris's walk, and so maybe he never had fornication issues or any Mm -hmm. other sin, but it, it just like Jason Whitlock, who maybe has a gluttony problem, He's living in open rebellion as well, and, you know, we all need to do better. And so that's one of the things I've had as it relates to sexuality or whatever, because I had this issue, you know, a very immature understanding of of the gospel and how I'm supposed to live. And I used to put homosexuality, oh, homosexuality. And I'm like, that's no better, worse than the stuff you've done, Jason, with women. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, once you get that understanding and it's like, just like the person that may be struggling with homosexuality, Jason Whitlock struggling with gluttony and other sins or whatever, we all need to be seeking a better relationship with Christ so that, you know, our behaviors, we get more in line with how he wants us to live. And, and instead of, and so where it came off like Chris Broussard, and I know it's unintentional, mm-hmm. but but it came off like he's singling a, a certain group of people out for sin, and and the truth is what you were saying is like we are all sinners and we all need to come to grips with that, and the problem with 
a lot of these hyper aggressive atheists is it's like they're it's almost like they're trying to eliminate all sin they just want to legalize everything mm. and people think i'm crazy i've been saying this for seven eight years i think that in my lifetime we're going to legalize uh pedophilia uh that that's where this is headed that I anything anybody wants to do whatever lust someone has in their heart it should all be legal and it's all okay and it should all be normalized and i just think it's a mistake well, I'm with you 100% on all of that. I do think, too, we're trending down that road when you look at um, the transgender movement, uh, the um, support of it, the uh, fact that we now have drag queen story hour, stuff like that. I think we're trying to blur the lines sexually, and I think that's all satanic. But you're so right. There is no grade on sin. Everyone uh, needs a savior. Or you know, if there was another way, why would God have allowed his son to die on the cross? He wouldn't have. So I, I want to say this to people that are just non-believers, even just because the other thing that I keep railing against is that we're in this culture of idolatry where we put LeBron James on some pedestal and oh my God, no one can criticize LeBron James, and it's like we're worshiping athletes and social media influencers, and and everybody seems okay with that. Just it, let's say you're an atheist listening to this. Mm -hmm. Would I, I would much prefer? I think it's much more beneficial if we worshipped Jesus. And you can continue to think he's a make believe character, or it's all a joke. That's better than worshiping these flawed human yeah. beings, and many of whom have pledged their allegiance for financial gain to promoting things that are really unhealthy for young people and for America. I, I'm in total agreement with you that I think a lot of what's being promoted is satanic, uh, particularly coming from out of Hollywood and the media industry and even politics now. But e even if you're a non-believer, I, I just, the worship of man, which we have fallen deep off into, and, and this relates to Obama and Trump, the, wor the, the worship of these two men, mm -hmm. we've put men and some women above God. And even if you don't believe in God, we would be better off worshiping someone make-believe than worshiping these humans who are all very flawed and many of whom are promoting uh, an evil agenda. Exactly right. Jason Whitlock, our guest here on the We Tackle Life podcast. Uh, you know, I'm sure you get tripped up with it, or people try to trip you up with it. They try to trip me up with it. The old, are you saying, you know, trying to get me to say, well, are, is this person saved or is this person saved? And I always say, look, I'm in marketing. I'm not in, enfor in enforcement. So, you know, I'm not going to give you the any answers because here's the Bible. The answers are in here. You read it. You see what kind of calling it puts on your heart. The, the amazing thing about the Bible is it's a living, breathing thing. There are verses I read over, and I think, that's the most amazing thing I've ever read in my life. Why haven't I underlined that the other 20 times I read it? Yeah, with you. And, and, and you're right. I mean, legalistic people, uh, and I've been one. I mean, I'm great at being legalistic. i got to battle that. It's so easy to elevate and wag our finger at the sin we're not tempted by. Like, you know, grace of God, I'm not tempted by same-sex attraction. 
because if you were, it's not a tempta- it's not a sin to be tempted, but it's a sin to act. But we do tend to look at things and wag our finger at things that other people do that we don't want to do. And um, I think you spoke to that really, really eloquently. How much of the of what you're going to do at Fearless? I don't picture you being able to say X percent of what I do will be faith oriented, X percent of what I do will be culture oriented. I think we have to weave culture in, and I'm sure that's what you plan to do. And my question is, is like, how did you how did you come to the point in your career where you were at peace with the fact that everyone you'll be working with at the Blaze is okay with you doing that? I think that thirty percent of what I'm going to do at the Blaze is going to me talking sports, and you know the basketball game I watched last night, Donovan Mitchell and the mm-hmm. Utah Jazz. You know, I'll have some take on on that. Thirty percent will be probably me talking politics, and and thirty percent will be me talking pop culture. Faith will be a part of virtually all of those conversations and and it's because i try to and again I, i'm a flawed sinner i mean i'm just like everybody else but i try to ask myself on any issue i wonder how god feels about that mm-hmm. and and then go from there and so it's always going to be a part of my point of view. And, and look, Bruce, I, I know that, you know, you're based in Cleveland or whatever, but it's just like my conversation about LeBron James, when I evaluate his actions, particularly off the court, the show, the shop, and all that other stuff, hmm. you know, my, my first thoughts are like, oh, well, is any of this in alignment with, you know, what he should be doing to promote, healthy things for young people and is it, is it in line with the gospel and things like that and so I, I just I think we've been trained in the mainstream corporate media to leave God out of the conversation and I think that's a mistake I think that's why we keep making so many mistakes you know leaving God out of the conversation is a mistake because it, it it's why we make so many poor decisions. It certainly is. When I was doing radio in Cleveland and they won the title and everything, it was uh, it was amazing to see LeBron. But you couldn't get to LeBron, and I really wanted to ask LeBron. Like during the 2016 campaign, he was a supporter of Hillary, which is fine. But his reasoning was that Hillary cares about the kids, and I thought for a guy who uh, has his platform and not to recognize the damage that abortion does to the black community not to recognize, you know, her support of abortion. I really just wanted to engage him on that topic. And, you know, the Cavs were never going to win. that ain't happening. <laughs> and, you know, as I see what he does now, and, you know, he's all in on BLM and he's all in on anti-cop stuff, I've expressed before, and I, I did it on a podcast a while back, my frustration with LeBron, because he does make an occasional God reference, even an occasional uh, Christ reference. And my frustration with LeBron is that, See, I view you as a guy who God's had his hand on and has been, like, calling toward him, pulling toward him, nudging toward him for a long time. I view myself the same way. I actually think all of us are uh, in that vein. All of us are on some kind of a journey. And with LeBron, he has this powerful story to tell, I think, that could really make a transformative difference in the black community and, and in all communities, in poor communities. 
Like, hey, look at me. I'm a guy who got my girlfriend pregnant, but I didn't abandon her to be a single mom. I married her. I'm a great father by all counts to my kids. I love my kids. And that's what will help heal our nation is if we get away from this skyrocketing single mother rate, prioritize families. And I get it. You know, a BLM makes no, no bones or they did be, didn't make any bones before they scrubbed their website that they're against the Western prescribed nuclear family. Satan, of course, is against that because that's ordained by God. But I get frustrated with LeBron because he has a story to tell that I think could really make a difference in a lot of people's lives, and he chooses to tell another story. I think you've nailed it. I wish he would lean into his own personal journey and, and stick to that. Here's, I, did, you know, I didn't have a family, mm. and I was determined to build one and support one and have one. Again, though, where that runs high risk for LeBron and the people that are controlling LeBron is can he live up to that? If he stands on that message of family, I think, speculation on my part, and let's remove LeBron from my answer yeah, to this. Okay. I think any man that promotes his family values runs the risk of the people that don't want family values promoted going through every aspect of his personal life, digging through his trash, and try, oh, what about that night in Miami when you stayed out and blah, 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 and we picked, we got pictures of you partying with this girl or that girl, and and so there's a the protection of sin. Is people are turning down. Like as Christians, we're like, no, we bought Jesus insurance. That that's our insurance. That's our coverage for our sin. The people on the other side are like, we've adopted a political point of view to cover our sins. Our sins will never be exposed because we're on the right political message. And so a lot of these celebrity influencers are all compromised by their sin as well, and they've made a deal that I'm going to get coverage, my sins will never get exposed, because I'm going to promote the political message of corporate media and the people in control of communication and big tech. And so I think that's if if and and to some degree I'm sympathetic for Le, to LeBron, you know, growing up the way he did. I think his mother struggled early in his life, and so I'm not sure that LeBron. And maybe I could be wrong. I'm not sure if he had some sort of religious foundation instilled in him at a y- early age where he even has an, a full understanding of what Jesus and the gospel has to offer him. And, you know, even at, what, is he 37, 38 years old? I, I can't yeah. remember. Yeah, 37 years old. He's still young. And uh, th- there's time for him to grow. But for the most part, I think that Nike wrapped their arms around this dude at 17 and 18 years old. Nike is in bed with China. Uh, China is a communist-run country. Communist-run countries are anti-religious faith. And so LeBron's worldview is shaped through his relationship with Nike and Nike's relationship with China. And that's why he's going to promote an anti-American 
anti-Western culture agenda. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right on that. We're talking with Jason Whitlock here on the We Tackle Life podcast. You're right about his age. It's a great point because that's kind of when I started to get it. That same age is when I get it. I started to get it truly because I had adversity in my life that just think, Bruce, just think if you had had a half billion dollars in the bank yeah. at 37, would you have gotten it or would yeah. you be like, man, I must be doing everything right? Yeah, no, great point. <laughs> great point. You know, but what I would, and I don't want to go really a whole bunch deeper into LeBron or force you to, is yeah. that, you know, he's uncancelable, really. I mean, he really is. He's got, he's one of the few guys who are uncancelable. And what I, what I love about you is, like, you feel to me like you don't care if they try to cancel you because you understand who you are. As I said before, you know what you believe and why you believe it. I look at our culture and I just see, like, wow, it's a long way back. You know, the, the left has won the entertainment war, the big tech war, the media war. They've won all these wars and they've won the long game over 50 years. Uh, they've stolen, you know, Yale and all these institutions were founded as Christian institutions, and they're not anymore. I tend to th- always say, well, there's no way we're going back, but, you know, with God, all things are possible. How do you stay motivated and focused on just waging the battle instead of becoming cowed by the enormity of winning the battle? Well, I think that's part of the reason I'm wearing my faith more publicly the last few years. It's just because it's it's my identity it's who i am i'm a christian and so when you adopt that identity it keeps you on task it it literally the reason why i try to start every morning listening to gospel music is because it 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 refigures or jiggers my mind to remind myself i'm a christian and so it's like if I'm out driving my car and someone cuts me off in traffic and I remember like, oh, I'm a Christian, that, that locks me into a response. There's only so many responses I can have as a Christian when something bad happens to me. If your identity is built around your political point of view, oh, I'm a Republican or oh, I'm a Democrat, when someone cuts you off in traffic, you got a lot of options as a Republican and <laughs> a Democrat. Everything's on the table. If you are, if your identity is built around the color of your skin, oh, I'm black. You got a lot of options on the table. Someone cuts you off. Someone does something rude to you. As a black, white, green, yellow person, you got a lot of options. If your identity is built around oh, I'm heterosexual or homosexual or I'm non-binary, blah, blah, blah. Again, you got a buffet of options. As a Christian, it's like someone cuts me off the traffic, I got, hey, do better next time and just keep it moving, keep the smile on my face, don't react, don't try to escalate the situation. So I just, my identity in Christ keeps me on task and so I, I don't you know, look. Am I always perfect? Do I sometimes see things going on in the world and I go, "Oh my God, I can't." I mean, how far are we going to go with this? Are we ever going to recover and have those kind of negative thoughts cross my mind? Yes, I'm. I'm a human being. I'm like everybody else. But for the most part, if I'm sitting, I'm a Christian. God's on my side. How can we fail? We're going to figure this out. Just stay on task. Just be the change you want to see. Be the light. And 
start, you'll start attracting other people who want to be in the light. Bruce, you and I probably, I don't know how many years it's been since we talked and mm. covered Big Ten sports or blah, blah, blah. But by me putting out that Christian energy, it made you contact me yep. and connect as Christians. When we were covering the Big Ten 25 years ago, I don't think either one of us knew that the other had any Christian belief at all. Nope. Uh, but I certainly now, didn't display that. Yeah, and so now we do. And so I just try to put an energy into the air, and, and other people are attracted to it. Yeah, it's the epitome of uh, let your light shine. You know, you don't hide your light. Jesus said you don't put your lamp under a, uh, you know, under a shade, you let it shine. And that's, that's what I try to do is I always say to my listeners is, you know, let your light shine in darkness and, and model that Ephesians six ten behavior, stand, just stand. Uh, I want to tell you a quick story that uh, applies to that very eloquent way. You said all these, you have all these options if you're not a Christian. And then I want to ask you a closing question because you've been very generous with your time. Uh, I heard Max Lucado preach one time a sermon where he gave an illustration that supposedly Alexander the Great one time was called to confront a deserter. He came before Alexander, and Alexander said to him, what's your name? And the guy said, my name is Alexander. And Alexander the Great supposedly looked at him and said, change your ways or change your name. The point Lucado was making was, we all carry the name of Christ, and so to indulge in one of those other <laughs> selections on the buffet of options <laughs> is illustrative of the fact that Christ would say to us, change your ways or change your name. doesn't disqualify us when we screw up, but I try to think of it as grieving him and grieving the Holy Spirit. And I wanted to have a long conversation with you about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost and how people get you know weirded out by that. But what I really want to end with is that you're a black man and I'm a white man. And I would love it if in America we could get away from the black church and the white church and we could get away from talking about our differences. What's the, what's the avenue, uh, Jason? Do you have a thought? I'm sure you do have thoughts on how we can be the church in line with what Christ wants us to be in our culture, in our jobs, in our lives, in our families. And how do we integrate where we really need to integrate first and foremost, which is as believers under Jesus? So I'm just going to repeat what I've been saying this whole time we've been talking. Mm -hmm. We have to wear our Christian identity on our sleeve. And it's not to prove that we're better than anybody else or shove it in anybody's face, but I look at so many people over social media who the first thing they list on their bio is I'm conservative. I'm a Democrat. I'm part of the resistance. I'm gay. I'm whatever. And it's all, and then maybe someone at the end of their deal will say that they're a Christian or whatever. And, and Christian needs to be the first identity. And, just to put that smoke signal out there that that's what I value, that's what I value the most. That's what I'm most concerned with. And, and that's what will common ground for people. 
It's like if someone reads on Bruce Hooley's Twitter bio that he's a Christian, someone black, someone brown, someone yellow, make, oh, I'm a Christian too. We have that common ground. Mm -hmm. Let's go from there. And so for me, that's why I'm wearing my faith publicly. And then two, I do think there are churches around the country that are moving beyond black church, white church. One of the things I found at the very beginning of the pandemic, COVID in March of 2020, I started following a church out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, mm -hmm. uh, by a guy, the leaders, a guy named Mike Todd, black dude, looks to be in his early 30s. Uh, he dresses in that very young, hip, millennial way. <laughs> it's off-putting. It, it, I mean, <laughs> for me in my 50s, it's like, man, this, what's this dude on? But what I caught him, uh, maybe the first sermon I caught was in, it may have been the second one, maybe, but, but I call it his Easter sermon in 2020. Mm-hmm. And it was about the resurrection, and uh, obviously, and it was the most amazing church service I'd ever seen. And it blew, and then so I started doing re the church is called Transformation Church, and it's maybe fifty fifty racially the racial dynamics of it, or maybe it's like sixty percent white, but he's the black minister, and and and. I've been discovering, you know, I still follow Mike Todd, but I've been discovering more and more churches led by some younger guys that are fully integrated, and it's been hopeful to me. And uh, is Mike Todd perfect as a minister? No. He, he, you know, when George Floyd happened, to me, my opinion, he's like, he strayed off course a little bit, uh, but... Overall, again, the guy's young, I'm, and particularly, you know, I, it's been amazing to me how much I've been attracted to his ministry given his age, but I don't care. If someone's speaking the truth in a joyful way and in an impactful, truthful way, I'm just attracted to it. But I, I guess I just say all that to say I'm seeing signs of people putting their skin color differences aside and just Christians coming together. But the key to that is for us to lean more into our Christian identities and, and make sure people know that that's what we're about. Abolitionists, you go all the way back to America defeating slavery. Abolitionists were driven by their faith in God and Jesus. That's what gave them the courage to be abolitionists and want to end slavery. And so Christianity, all the great progress I feel that we've made in America has been a direct byproduct of our Judeo-Christian values that used to be, used to define America. And it's why we kept, we were on a course and kept improving along racial lines all the way through basically the 1960s. And then the left has orchestrated a strategy of disconnecting us from our religious faith, all of us, but black people in particular, 
we've been handed politics and a political idea, uh, ideology as our identity. That's why Joe Biden says, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black, because black is not a skin color. It's a political idea, ideology that you have to adopt in his mind and, and a lot of people over social media. And, and so they've replaced our identity in Christ with an identity in politics and that's why the the narrative or the arc that we had been on in America towards racial unity is now going the other direction. And, and I think right now I've never seen more racial division than what we have right now. And it's not a coincidence that our society has become more and more secular and that these social media platforms are hostile to a religious faith point of view, you know, we're being pitted against each other. And those of us as Christians have to, we got to double down on our Christianity to, to fight that current. So absolutely dead on the money. And, you know, in the midst of your answer there, I just wanted to remind the guys and, and people who listen to this podcast, like you can't fight this battle folks, unless you prioritize connecting with Christ every day through the Father. Jason has his way, gospel music, whatever Bible reading he's doing. He's clearly pondering what God is asking him to do with his talents that he's been gifted with. I do it by reading uh, Proverbs and then some of the Gospels, journaling, praying. But you all have to have that way of connecting. It, it, your, your Christianity can't be an hour a week because, you know, the great thing about God is, is like he, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock if anyone invites me in. But he, he's a gentleman. He doesn't force his way through the door. You've got to invite him in. So invite him into your heart. Jace, I just appreciate your time so much. I, you're a bold guy. You've got amazing talent. You've got amazing clarity. I just want to pray that God would uh, keep his hand on you, uh, embolden you, give you vision and direction and purpose, and that the constraints of a 30-minute television program, or that you wouldn't be constrained at all at the blaze in what you're doing. You are fearless. That is what God calls us to do. It's been a blessing for me to watch you from afar, see the journey you've walked, to um, experience the power of your perspective today. So thank you very much for your time. I hope you don't mind if I text you a verse from time to time and affirm you in your work. And, uh, and um, I just support you so much, and I'm so very thankful for you. Thank you, Bruce, and please do stay in touch. <laughs> it's not a problem at all. All right, my friend. Thank you again for being so gracious with your time today. God bless. I look forward to hearing more from you very, very soon. All right. God bless. Thank you, man. Jason Whitlock, everybody. Uh, an awesome hour plus with him. Look, it took me a long time to straighten out uh, myself spiritually. I had a lot of wrong thoughts, garbage, my own human logic in there that made my walk ineffective, but it's never too late. It's never too late for you, whatever you're trapped in. That sermon that Jason talked about from Mike Todd in Tulsa, Google Mike Todd uh, Easter Sermon, Stained, S-T-A-I-N-E-D. I meant to tell him that I listened to that sermon last night and that it was a real blessing to me. And it will explain to you why you're not disqualified by anything that you've done in your life, but that you have to put your trust in what Christ has done for you, that you cannot do it on your own. No one can. Uh, and with that, uh, I'll say uh, goodbye. Thank you for the time. I'd love feedback on this. Send me an email. We tackle life at gmail.com. We tackle life at gmail.com. Everybody have a great weekend and um, God bless you all.